0: Hello, hello, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Keller, and today I'm joined by a fellow millennial working in the government space, so I'm excited. Simone B, aka Bees, has an incredible and inspiring story. So she is a 16-year-old tech prodigy. She broke into the space and this industry super early and now earns over $200,000 a year. So today we're going to explore her journey and learn about the hard work and determination that led to her success in the government industry. And so if you follow her on Twitter, Instagram, or her YouTube channel, You'll get so many golden nuggets of advice on how to land a six-figure job in GovTech. And so today we're going to discuss some of those tricks and maybe some myths that need debunking. So I'm stoked for the conversation, and I really appreciate you joining me today.
1: Thanks, Katie. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here.
0: You're a friend of Clearance Jobs, but speaking to some of those myths to debunk before we kind of dive into our chat, you recently shared it was either like a real or a TikTok video where someone was advising people to lie on their resume. And so tell us why that doesn't really work in this field just with your experience, because I do have an inkling that some people listening might stretch the truth on their resume in hopes of getting a job.
1: Yeah, I would say in this space, lying is definitely the worst thing to do because our background checks are more extensive. So they use more extensive systems when it comes to verifying your education, verifying when you worked at companies, which companies you worked at. They even verify your certifications as well. So when it comes to that, you know, that's a big reason why you definitely don't want to lie. I would say in other industries, their background checks aren't as intensive or extensive. You probably can get away with it. But I mean, in the long run, you know, you don't want to lie at all and you never want to lie to the government.
0: Right. Well, I mean, especially with like clearance denial cases that we're frequently reading over, it's like most of them are because you're lying. (laughs) So we'll talk a little bit about how you obtained a security clearance. I know that we have a ton of listeners that are uncleared and really interested in getting their foot in the door. And so a lot of people get a security clearance through the military, which you did not, but you do have family military history. So tell us about that and how that helped to guide you into sort of this technical field.
1: Yeah. So I never went to the military, never served a single day. A lot of people just assume that I did since I got my clearance so young and just got in so young. My dad was in the Air Force. I think he did about 21 years. He retired from the Pentagon in 2000. I think actually in 2000. So he required he retired from the Pentagon. When he retired from the Pentagon, he had already been working government contracts part time as well. So he was doing nighttime. He was working at at a government contractor company. And then during the day, you know, during his military requirements and military shifts, he had to work for the military, of course, for the Air Force. I ended up getting into government tech because I played basketball growing up and and video games as well. So I always had an interest in video games. I ended up building my computer at the age of 16 and my dad was like, hey, well, you know, of course, basketball is great, but you have to have a career too. So he's like, So you're interested in like video games and computers? How about you start looking more into tech? And at the time, you know, I was like, Hey, you know, that's cool. You know, I want to be a, a video game developer, but didn't know anything about coding or how that would even be possible. You know, 20 years ago, it, you didn't have all the resources you had now to even like, figure out how could I become a video game developer. So basically what happened was I'm from Arlington and I went to high school in Loudoun County and I was trying to figure out a way to, you know, not really have to go to my regular classes. I was not a fan of my regular classes and they had a vocational school called Monroe tech. So it was Monroe technology center and they had a lot of different offerings for you. They had networking class where you can get your CCNA certification. They had the IT class where basically it was basic computer foundational class where you could get your CompTIA A plus certification. And then they had a lot of other things too, like welding, culinary arts, you know, things like that. It was a vocational school. So I I chose the easier class, which was the CompTIA A plus one. So I ended up getting my A plus certification at 16. And then I got an internship with Telos at 16 as well. So Telos, they're based out of Ashburn.
0: Awesome. Well, and so... I guess when your dad was retiring, I mean, that was before sort of 9-11, but that was kind of the wake that I grew up in and that, you know, you grew up in. And it it seems like your love for like the tech space and all that, it just seemed like kind of those roads met in the middle. Tell us a little bit more about that first internship that you got and obtaining a clearance and how you were able to nail that.
1: Yeah. So the first internship really was... All Monroe Tech. I had a our teacher that we had. Her name was Lorna Gardner. I think she's still at North of Grumman to this day. Basically, she had connections within the industry, and she was reaching out to companies, letting them know, like, "Hey, I have these high school students that you know they're getting their certifications. I want to help them get internships." So I had to apply to Telos. You know, did an interview. I'm um, Ended up getting the job. So my first job was it was a material handler position. And it's really interesting because, like, through my career, everything kind of came full circle. Mostly what I was doing was packing up the different shipments and cables and and radar cables that they were shipping out to Afghanistan and Iraq. And I ended up asking them, like, hey, you know, can I do a little bit more? Can I, you know, reformat some hard drives or something like that? You know, I'm not like I had that much technical skills back then. So, I just asked to do a little bit more. So, they started letting me reformat hard drives and things like that. So, that was my first internship. And, and you know, it was great. You know, I was making $10 an hour at 16. This is back in 2008, 2008, 2009. So, you know, I was making pretty good money at 16. So, it was great. And then when it came to me getting my first clearance, I got my secret clearance by working at, so it's Northwest Federal Credit Union. And basically, they're one of the intelligence agencies' banks. By working there, everybody has to have a secret clearance. So I was working in the IT department, got my internship there, got my secret clearance very quickly, you know, back then. And, you know, I was only 18, so it only took a couple of months for my clearance to be fully adjudicated. And that was pretty much how I I got my first clearance. And and I've been just continuously working in the government tech space ever since.
0: Well, and one thing I love that. You did. And this is what I tell people to do, especially I mean, it seems that a lot of people want to pivot to cyber just because there is a huge need for talent that works in that space. And one thing I tell people is like, okay, you're currently working at a company, why don't you just ask to do a little bit more there so you gain the experience that's obviously required for some of those cyber billets? I love that you did that and that your teacher was like advocating for you as a student. I mean, I hear companies like Lockheed Martin are like, okay, we got to recruit at the high school level, even the middle school level, and that's what we need to do to to get people sort of interested in this space. But in your experience, I mean, there, there are a ton of benefits from a job seeker perspective of working in GovTech. And you obviously started so early. So tell us a little bit more about those benefits, probably including salaries. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I would say the benefits of, of working in GovTech, especially if you get in when you're younger and, you know, first you get that clearance. So once you get your clearance, that opens up so many opportunities for you because, you know, now you can either stay within the company that you're at and see what they have internally and maybe they'll sponsor you for the next level up. Right. So I did that at Raytheon multiple times. And then another thing is, is that, you know, just by having the government clearance, you typically make more money. So, you know, coming out of college, I was making 73,000, which was great. And then by taking that, that experience that I had and trying out new things, I always wanted to go overseas and by having the experience that I had and then getting more certifications, I got the Security Plus certification. That allowed me to get my first overseas position. So I became a a radar system engineer two and a half years into working at Raytheon after I graduated college. And I had never had been a radar system engineer, right? I was doing radar software engineering work back at Fort Meade. I never had been the engineer responsible for having a a radar system fully operational 24 seven.
0: Well, and I know one thing that you and I chatted about before this conversation that you noted is working for a company and getting them to upgrade your clearance while you're serving another billet for them. So a lot of people I talk to, they're like, I need the TSSCI now. <laughs> and it's like, the, it's so much easier to just go after. I mean, a public trust isn't a clearance, but like, you know, going after the public trust or the secret level, which doesn't cost as much money for the government, doesn't cost as much time for the company to leave a billet vacant. So I, I know that's one thing that we chatted about it. And so tell us a little bit about. Those conversations that you had when you were moving from the secret to maybe the top secret, or from one level to another.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, you're 100% right. I, I see that a lot nowadays. You know, people they they say like, oh, well, you know, you don't talk about the fact that a lot of these companies require you to have clearances up front. Well, that's not necessarily true. There are a lot of positions that are at the secret level where they are sponsoring. So, you know, being willing to come in at secret and then either try to find another role where they'll upgrade you or either, you know, job hop to another company where they have positions open and they'll upgrade your sponsor. Uh, they'll upgrade your clearance there. So what I see when it comes to government clearances and people that are, are trying to get that clearance is really just focusing only on finding the roles that that say, hey, you know, we have the ability to sponsor your clearance. So a lot of people don't know that you can just search for different recruiters that are sponsoring for secret level roles quite often, whether they're help desk roles or, or any other roles as well.
0: Yeah, I think it's just as a job seeker, just being willing to like, kind of compromise a little bit and make understand or recognize that some things you need to just accept that they're a stepping stone almost.
1: Yeah. I, and, and that's what a lot of people don't want to accept. Right. So, you know, some people, they, they talk about, you know, where I am and, and what I'm doing. And I'm like, you know, I, I did work my way up here. You know, there are ways to do it faster. Pretty much nowadays, like if you have not already started in and at college doing internships, or, you know, maybe if you're uh, fortunate like me and you start at high school and you get a clearance early, if you aren't starting early, the likelihood of you going straight to, you know, a top secret SEI or full scope polygraph clearance, you know, it's not as likely, even though there are companies that are sponsoring it, they're just harder to get, especially if you don't already have GovTech experience.
0: Yeah, totally. And so now you work in a pretty sweet gig. I mean, obviously, you are still working in GovTech, you have worked your way up to a really nice salary. And then you also have a little bit of flexibility. And so I'd love to touch on that because that's another thing from a job seeking perspective that is in really high demand is being able to work from home in this industry. So tell us how you were able to gain that flexibility. And I don't know if you might have tips for any of our listeners in that regard.
1: Yeah. So honestly, one of my friends, he told me about the company and he told me like, Hey, you know, they're a remote first company. And what it is, is they're a cybersecurity startup and they had a commercial side and then they started a federal subsidiary. And since the commercial side is still remote first, the federal subsidiary operates under the same gesture as we're a remote first company, even though we do have an office in Annapolis Junction. Right. Everybody works from home. But if we do need to go on the customer sites and do customer visits, we'll do that. And honestly, just finding something like this, it was really just lucky. Honestly, I'm not I'm not even going to lie. It was it was definitely luck. You know, you don't find positions that are paying this much that are remote in the gov tech industry quite often. But I will say if you're a job seeker and you're looking for jobs where you can work remote from home, one you will definitely need some experience, right? I would say like if you're brand new into this industry or if you're brand new into whatever career that you're in, the likelihood of you finding a 100% remote clear job is, you know, slim to none. But you have to just be open to doing hybrid work, I would say to start out, especially in the federal government space. A lot of federal government employees work hybrid or they work mostly remote now. And then when it comes to government contractors, you just have to be flexible, right? You know, you can't have it all when you're first trying to get into this industry and you have to build your network and just kind of figure out, hey, which contracts do allow you to work from home, which managers do allow more flexibility. And then also just what type of positions and roles allow that type of flexibility where you don't have to go in the office every day. So, you know, with me working overseas, that's not a role where you can work from home, right? So a lot of people get it confused. They think like, I tell them like, hey, I was working overseas in very remote areas. I don't mean that I was working remotely from home, you know? I mean that I was working in like remote areas where there's there's nobody out there. People ask me all the time, they're like, oh, those overseas roles, can I stay in the States? And I'm like, no, like you're out there because they have a military site or installation that they need to operate 24/7 so that's they need bodies there they need you there to make sure that everything's working smoothly that you know that's just something that that people have to keep in mind is that you know you you can't have it all when you're first trying to get into the industry i would say you know once you have experience under your belt then you can start really asking for what you want and then also you'll you'll understand more how the industry works right i mean and that goes along with like research
0: and i mean obviously following someone like you who has the experience and just kind of understanding the full picture for and and setting realistic expectations that's what i always tell people and so let's talk about tactical job seeking tips. You've already kind of noted a few, but especially for our young I, I keep saying younger millennials and I'm like, wait, I'm I'm growing up a little bit. But you know, like younger millennials or Gen Z job seekers, any like location hubs to target in the tech field or any other advice there?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. I I would say if you really want to get your foot in the door in this industry, be willing to work in the locations that other people do not want to work at. So for example, Huntsville, Alabama, nobody really wants to work there, but there's so much opportunity. In New Mexico, nobody wants to work in New Mexico, right? There's even some places in Denver that people don't really want to work. So you know, if you go to the areas where people don't want to work, you'll have more success finding jobs. And then in the DMV, there's what Aberdeen Proving Ground, the nobody wants to work there, right? But they're sponsoring clearances because they cannot get talent, right? So if you really do want to get your foot in the door, that's one way in. And you don't have to stay forever. I always say that you know you might have to make sacrifices temporarily at the beginning, but it's going to be worth it. Another thing that you can do to find jobs, I am a big, big fan of going to the in-person events. So I believe they're called Tech Expo. They have events in Tyson's and Baltimore, Annapolis Junction. They have in-person events all of the time. Sometime they do require you to have clearances, but then they have some that are open to everybody. So if you can go to those events or any company mixers or networking hiring events that they have in person, definitely try to make your way out to those. And and I know everybody's not in those areas, but I had one of my clients that's working with me. She really, really wants to get into GovTech and she lives in Texas and she flew to, to D.C to go to an in-person recruiting event.
0: Yeah, just kind of like a Swiss cheese model, almost like doing the virtual events, of course, because they're easy, but also making the time and investing in those in-person events. I love that because I hear all the time online, like chatter of people like, you know, want to be face to face. And it's just another way to make a connection with a recruiter or a hiring manager.
1: Yeah, people, they like to not think about personality when it comes to getting these jobs. But, you know, if you're trying to get your foot in the door and they like your personality, you know, they they might be more open to giving you an opportunity to get an interview.
0: Yeah, totally. I like I said, I, I said that there are probably people listening who don't currently have a security clearance or they let it lapse, which is another thing that I hear so much. And so you spoke to banks that intelligence agencies use being a really great option to get that secret, which makes you more marketable. Any other sort of tips for our uncleared audience that might be listening today?
1: Yeah, the other tip that I have, I use clearance jobs a lot, right? When I'm trying to help people find jobs, I use clearance jobs all of the time. Literally, if you just search for the term ability to obtain, if you search for that in clearance jobs, and I usually put quotes around it, you will find a lot of positions that are sponsoring on clearance jobs. You will see some that already want you to have a clearance, but there are a lot of jobs on clearance jobs that are sponsoring. So if you just search ability to obtain, they will come up and that's just a a shorter uh really just a shorter phrase of ability to obtain US government clearance right if you put all of that in in the search box nothing's going to come up <laughs> so so just search ability to obtain and you'll see a lot of roles come up that works on every government contractor website i mean you can use that phrase
0: yeah and you know i think people forget that clearance jobs you don't need an account to just be able to search through the you know 60 to 70,000 jobs we have listed and so use it, us as a resource, I mean, in addition to like our white papers and articles and all that jazz, but use it to do that research, like, hey, this company has been advertising for this position for so long, maybe they're willing to sponsor, even if they don't know, I mean, that's you, you just never know. So it just it takes a little bit of research and sort of the confidence to to reach out to people and, you know, have that elevator pitch ready, and all that good stuff.
1: Yeah, that's a great tip as well. I would say any role that's been open for six months, they will most likely sponsor a clearance for it because, I mean, it it can't go unfilled for that long, right? So if you have the qualifications, but you don't have a clearance, something that I used to do too, I mean, I would still apply for jobs, even though they said that they weren't sponsoring clearances, they'd see my resume, they would interview me and they would say, hey, we'll sponsor you for a clearance for this role. So that's happened to me multiple times.
0: I really appreciate you joining us to talk about some of these amazing tips. I I, fa- I found Simone on Instagram, and I was like, "You got to join me for the podcast because you have some amazing, amazing tips." And so, we're not going to share all of them today, but I really appreciate you joining me. For everyone listening, you can follow Simone on, like I said, Instagram, Twitter. She has a YouTube channel at Simone Bees. And so, thank you for tuning in to this episode of Cleared Cast for more tips on. the security clearance process, and getting into the government contracting world, you can visit news.clearancejobs.com.